church. Amen. It's good to see each and every one of you. Let's uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to start a, a new series these next few sessions called Press. And as you can tell from the title, it's exciting. Amen. It's, it's exciting when we talk about press. How many like to be pressed? Anybody like being pressed? Pressed for time? Anybody like being pressed for time? How about pressured to do something? Everybody loves that, you know, just a pressure to do something, you know, get this done. You know, your boss puts pressure on you to get a certain project done. Everybody <clears throat> loves being pressed, as I can tell from the crickets and tumbleweeds that are going on in here. You don't, uh, people don't like the pressure of uh, life, the pressure of certain situations, but I'm here to tell you the press that we're talking about is the difference between success and failure in your walk with the Lord. Because maturity in Christ is not based upon knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world and still not be mature in Christ, still not even be Christ-like. There's a lot of people that know a lot about what God's Word says, but they don't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and Christ-likeness. Okay? Uh, it's not really based upon your accolades or achievements, whether you've funded missionary excursions or whether you've built churches or, or helped people go to Bible school or helped missionaries across. All of your achievements do not show that you're mature. What shows that you're mature is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is grown just like things in the natural are grown through pressure. Through pressure. If you get down to the dynamics of a seed coming to earth and being pressured by the soil to give up its bounty and to cause it to bloom forth into a beautiful plant producing fruit or whatever it might be, that is all a constant state of what? Of pressure. Amen? And so what I'm here to tell you is, is that God wants you to understand that many of you are wanting the will of God to play out in your life. But God's way of doing things is that they have to be pressed out. Amen? There are just things that cannot be played out. They've got to be pressed out. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a pressing that comes in our lives because when we use the, the scriptures uh, being changed from glory to glory. We get real excited about that. We get excited about being transformed from glory to glory, but then we begin to realize what the process of that is, and then we kind of recoil. Because what the Lord is, is, is wanting to minister during these times together is to get you to understand the process in which he brings forth things in our lives takes us to another level, but then also our cooperation with it. We've got to cooperate with the process of God because there's been times that the Lord has wanted to bring things through my life, but because of the cost and because of the press, I've recoiled and backed off. How many know what I'm talking about? You just kind of back off. You kind of say, you know what? I don't know if I want to do that, you know, right now at this time. And and the Lord is continuing to uh, lead us that direction, but yet we're, you know, apprehensive. So the goal is, is to teach you what the press is. 
because your spiritual maturity level is not based on what you know. It's not based on your achievements and what you've given and what you haven't given or how long you've served or how much you've done for the Lord. It's based upon your last pressing. The last pressing determines the level where you're at. And there are people that go through initial pressings and they go through and they get to a certain level and they stop. They stop going through the press. But I'm here to tell you that the answer to where you want to be and what you want to achieve and what you want to see in your life is all based upon the press. And Jesus exampled the press for us. He actually lived the press for us in its most extreme way. In the absolute most extreme way possible, Jesus exemplified the press because he would go to a place called Gethsemane. How many know Gethsemane from the Bible, which was on the Mount of Olives? It was a huge, huge place on the Mount of Olives filled with olive trees, of course, but then also tombs, uh, caves, grottos. In fact, he was arrested in a cave that they have since called the, uh, the Apostles' Grotto. And uh, he was in a cave, you know, and that's where he met with his disciples. And he basically kind of lived in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would go there every day and he would teach his disciples there. So it was a very important place for him, amen? And so he went through a passion, a suffering, a suffering, to example what it's like for us because here's the, I don't know if this is a, it is a good thing, but it doesn't sound like a good thing. Whatever Jesus went through, you're going to go through. I mean, that, that, that's just what it is. I mean, maybe not to the extreme of what he went through, but you're going to go through it. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was spoken evil against. Lies were taught, told about Jesus. Jesus was spit on. Jesus was brutalized. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was cut. Jesus was smacked across the face disrespectfully. Jesus went through all those things. Now, we're going to go through those things, maybe not physically, figuratively, metaphorically. We can go through these same things too. We can experience emotional battering, emotional abandonment. We can experience all these types of things. So that tells us what the scripture tells us is that we don't have a high priest that has not been touched with the feelings of our infirmities and our weakness, but at all points was tempted just like you and I, yet without sin. Jesus has went through everything you will ever go through. And in fact, in his just simple arrest and betrayal, and handed over to, you know, first to the Sanhedrin, to Pilate, to Herod, and back to Pilate, his scourging, his, his torture, his abuse, and all of that is something that we can look to today that Jesus has been touched with anything and everything that you have ever gone through in your life so that we can find hope that he will secure us in our time of need. That word secure is a very interesting word. It means a soldier going back to help a wounded soldier and getting back on the field. 
Amen? And so that's what Jesus does. When we find ourselves broken by life and we, find, and we call upon the name of the Lord, he comes, he retrieves us, and he gets us back in the battle. Amen? And I'm here to tell you I serve a God who is big enough that uh, he not only can heal us and restore us from all our pain, but experience that pain. He experienced that pain for you. Amen. That's exciting news. Jesus experienced the pain and torment that you may be having here this morning. Jesus experienced that and he paid a price for that and he triumphed over all the powers that would ever cause that in your life so that you could be free. Boy, howdy. I'm going to have to get the shockers back in the seats. But then I told you that, you know, you're going to have certain things happen in your life that are going to be just like, you see, what Jesus went through. Amen? So this is what Peter's saying in the fourth chapter in verse number one. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Boy, we don't like that. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. We'd like to hear, so as Jesus suffered in the flesh, you will never have to. That's what we would like. That would be a major bumper sticker. Amen. That would be something that we would just absolutely love, write books about. You know, uh, Jesus has delivered us from all of the suffering of the flesh. But that's not true. That's not true. You live in a fallen world. You live in a world that is cursed. You live in a midst of opposition. There are entities around you that oppose you and want to bring hurt and pain and distraction to your life to get you off the course of God. So you're going to face pressure in this life. Amen? But just as Jesus. See, uh, one of the things that uh, when you have little ones, like um, you'll see your kids put your shoes on. You know, how many ever got pictures. I've seen many pictures of toddlers with their dad's shoes on or with their mom's shoes on. Well, this is what this scripture is saying. Jesus walked a path and that we get in his shoes and we walk as he walked. That means you can rise above betrayal. That means you can rise above scandal. That means you can rise above gossip and slander. That means you can rise above abuse. Oh, these are good things. Amen? You can rise above those things. Why? Because he did. And if we'll learn from him and we'll understand how he went through these things and the mechanics that went along with that, then you and I can walk in victory, and that's what we desire to do. Amen? So he says this. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And that's where we want to go, is we no longer want to live by the human passions, but by the will of God. Now, the press is a different type of prayer journey. Majority of time when we pray, we're praying over the needs of others. We're praying over personal needs. 
We're praying about situations in our life. But this realm of prayer is the prayer where the rubber meets the road. Because it's where the passions of the flesh and the will of God collide. Because the majority of reasons why we're not pressing and getting to higher levels is because of the passions of our flesh. The things that we've built, the things that we have, the things that we think we need, the things that we own. These are all things that can create intersections between the will of God and the passions of our own flesh, okay? How many realize that one of the greatest hindrances to you fulfilling the will of God is your own passions, is your own desires, your own dreams, are your perceived needs? Everybody has perceived needs. Some people think they have to have someone in their life. Other people think they don't need anyone in their life. They have perceived needs, and sometimes those perceived needs intersect with the will of God, and God will direct you in a way. The reason why they intersect is because they're going in two different directions. One's going east and west, one's going north and south, okay? So that creates conflict. It creates pressure, because God's leading you to go a direction that you aren't presently going. Or you know where you're going, but yet you don't want to go there. Amen? So there are times in which God is leading us down a path that we're not ready to go down. That we, we, our will is fighting against the perceived will of God. What we perceive God is telling us to do, we're wrestling with. Our will is getting on the, you know, the, the singlet and getting ready, putting on, strapping on that little whatever they wear around their ears, and they're ready to go. Okay, God, we're going to wrestle. And how many realize that the wrestles in your mind can tire your physical body? I'm telling you, immune system goes down the tubes when you are in a constant state of wrestling with the will of God. Amen? And so that's what the press is. You see, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. He went to the place that was something that's very important to him. If you, if you study the scripture, you know uh, that the Mount of Olives is where he ascended. The Mount of Olives is where he'll come back down. So it's a special place to him because it, you know, that's how he saw the end from the beginning. That's how he had the joy that was set before him was him coming down and splitting that mountain and bringing everything back to restoration. I'm telling you, that's how Jesus endured the cross. He saw the end at the beginning. Amen. And if you're going to be successful in this life, you're going to be successful in what God has called you to do. You've got to be able to perceive the joy set before you instead of focusing on the pain that is presently active in your life. Because if you don't see it, if you don't see victory on the other side, if you don't see it, you'll begin to withdraw and draw back. The Bible says that God is not pleased when we, what, when we draw back. I've told you this before, and I'm just setting some groundwork because we're going to 
peer a little deeper in here, but I've told you this before, that your life is a series of connected triangles, okay? A triangle is broad at the base, but restrictive at the cone, and that you are constantly going in a motion up a triangle. Some of you are experiencing great margin in your life. You've got great opportunities. It seems like the world is your oyster. Some of you are in the cone and you don't know what is going on. You have no options whatsoever. You know you're going through and you're pressing through and it is painful at this time. Some of you are in varying places in between in which there's great margin or in which you're experiencing a lesser and lesser options in your life. This is where God takes us. God takes us first at the base and then we go forward as we continue to do his will and we come to the cone. And the cone can be one of the most painful places that you will ever find. Because guess what? You can't go into the cone the way you were at the base. If I'm going to break into another triangle, which would break in at the base, a place of margin, then that means there are certain restrictions and certain losses that I have to have before I can get to that place. And that's really the place of the press. Some things don't play out. Many things just have to be pressed out. And there are things in you that you're not going to be able to get out unless there's a press, unless there's some kind of press on you. People that achieve great things for God are people that have submitted to the process of the press. In fact, the word Gethsemane means oil press or olive press is what it means. Olive press. So Jesus would habitually go to Gethsemane, which is the olive press. And so we as believers must continuously go to the place of the press. And the place of the press is intimacy with God through prayer and the subjugation of our flesh to affliction, not beating it, but fasting, putting ourselves in spiritual disciplines, saying yes when we want to say no, and saying no when we want to say yes. This is things that afflict us and bring us in a place of the press. Amen? Jesus wanted to say no to the Father. Get that through your head. He was tempted at all points like as we are. The will of God was something he wrestled with. When he got to the cone, he began to wrestle with the will of God. The Bible calls that he agonized. The word agonized, agonizo in the Greek, means a wrestling match. He wrestled his will against the will of God. And if the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, wrestled with the will of God, you are going to wrestle with the will of God. Amen? It's quiet here. Amen? Let me read this out of the uh, Passion Translation. We might have it. Do we have it? Let me see here. I've got it on my phone. 
All right, let's see here. Nope, I guess we don't have it. Okay, it says, since Christ, through though innocent, suffered in his flesh for you, now you also must be a prepared soldier, having the same mindset for whoever has died in his body is done with sin. So live the rest of your earthly life no longer concerned with human desire, but consumed with what brings pleasure to God. Amen? That's important. So let's go down this journey. Is that all right? Okay. All right. You say that, but let's go to Luke, the 22nd chapter. <clears throat> How many would like to go to a new level? Amen. Amen. How many realize that God has greater things in store for you? That he has a higher levels for you? Of course. Well, how do we get there? Do we just show up, sign a list? I'm here. No, it's a process. A process of transformation. Many times some of the things that we're not seeing in our life, dreams and visions that God has given us in our prayer closet, haven't been achieved because we haven't walked the pathway. It's not that God's hand is withholding from us. It's that we are so out of whack and so, you know, not in alignment with him. As much as, I mean, you come to church all the time, read your Bible all the time, pray all the time, and you're still going to be out of whack because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I mean, we were so far removed from Christ likeness, you know, in our sinful walk, that it takes it takes serious, concentrated, twenty four seven mind renewal just to even get in alignment in some areas. Amen. And plus, you've got opposition that's going to keep you from getting the revelation necessary to walk in the truth of God's word. It's going to oppose you. Amen. And so we've got this constant pressure that's on us. We've got the pressure, satanic pressure demonic pressure, we've got the pressure of the world, and we've got the pressure of our flesh, along with the gravitational pull of the sin nature if we're not born again. So we're constantly put into this press. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, has made it that greater is he that's in you than anything that's in the world. You can break out, and you can break through to new levels and new dimensions in God if you have the will to do it. Oh, it should be automatic, you know. It should just be automatic, you know. The minute I got baptized, I got everything. No, not really. You didn't get everything. I mean, positionally, you got everything. You got Jesus, but experientially, it takes a, it's a process. Do you understand that? So in the 22nd and 39th verse, it says, And he came out and went as it was his custom, this is after the Last Supper. Notice this, this is a key to Gethsemane, as was his custom, as was his custom. So he came to Gethsemane customarily. He came there often. He had a routine. This was his routine, okay? If you're going to be able to press through to the other side, you're going to have to have a routine of intimacy with God you're going to have to have a custom of meeting with God. You're going to have to have a prayer life. 
I'm sorry. But you're going to have to have a prayer life. Amen? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, And uh, if you pray, pray like this way. Is that what he said? He said, when you pray. So Jesus <laughs> expects you to pray. Jesus assumes you're going to be a prayer. Amen? You're going to be a person of prayer. Jesus assumes that. He says, and when you pray. And when you pray. So prayer is vital. It is spiritual breathing to our lives. And it puts us in a position to where our will is constantly being circumspect to the will of God. So that's what prayer does. Prayer afflicts the flesh because the flesh doesn't like to pray. How many will say that my flesh loves to pray? It likes to get up at 5 in the morning or it likes to get up. Come on now. No. What fights you more than anything? What fought you this morning coming here? It was your flesh. Your flesh does not want to do the will of God. It has a nature called the, the, the fleshly nature that is the residue of the sin nature. It operates just like it did when you were lost in your trespasses and sins. But it needs to be brought under subjection. What brings it under subjection? The renewal of the mind through the word. Fasting brings it into subjection. And prayer brings it into subjection. Because you're basically telling your flesh what to do. Obedience to God tells the flesh what they can do with all their nasty little things they're trying to bring in my mind and tell me I don't need to be there, I don't need to do this. Come on, how many have dealt with Mr. Sarks? Because that's, that's, that's what it is, Sarks in the Greek. That's the flesh nature, okay? Amen? Mr. Sarks, a little chili con carnal, you know, Carnal Sanders. He'll show up and he'll be telling you, what are you doing? This is absolutely useless. This is absolutely futile. This makes no sense at all. You need to be out on the phone. You need to be out on the street. You need to be doing this. Praying about your finances, praying about your marriage, praying about... No, you need to be active in the flesh. It'll always tell you, always give you something to do. Do, 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 do. Where... If you want to develop the grace of God in your life, then you must develop prayer in your life because prayer works by grace and it begins to foster, foster faith and grace for your situation. Are you with me? Okay, so, I mean, grace receives. Grace doesn't do, grace receives. So how do I receive? I need to be in a continuous communication with the Lord. I need to have, now notice the next point here. It says, as was his custom uh, to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to, notice it says not a place, but it says the place. Notice it says the place. You got to have a place. If you're going to be committed to your prayer life, into what God is doing, you've got to have a place. Jesus called it the closet. I actually called it the bedchamber is what he called it in the actual Greek. So it shows you what goes on there. Prayer is a place in which intimacy is involved that impregnates and causes things to come to pass. And that's what prayer is. 
So it needs to be a place where you and God can be alone. It doesn't have to be a closet where you shut the door. He's just telling you, shut the door from the business of life. Come into the presence of the Lord. I used to use the campsite. I used to go there all the time, and that's where I would pray. That was the place for me. This auditorium is the place for me. When I come and pray, I come into this auditorium, and I walk this I mean, my feet have walked this uh, literally thousands and thousands of times, praying and seeking God. So this is the place for me. Well, what's the place for you? See, if you don't have a place to go to, you'll just think, well, I'll just do it anywhere, and you end up not doing it at all. Now, I'm not trying to make legalism out of this. I'm just trying to help you because Jesus had a place. He had a place that he went to. And in fact, everyone knew where that place was. Judas knew where that place was. Okay? So they knew where the place was. It's a place where he received from God. It's a place where he prayed to God. It's a place where he received revelation from God. He received experiences with God. It's a place. What's your place? Where's your place? Well, I'm here to tell you, you'll never go to the next level because you're not putting yourself in the place of pressing. Prayer presses you in to the deeper things of God. Boy, this, I tell you what, did we give Metamucil in the back or something? (laughs) Castor oil? When you start talking about prayer, submission, obedience, all these things that this stuff represents, it's not very popular. But people want the dreams of God to come to life in their life, and yet they don't go through the process. They just think, well, I had this dream, and someone prophesied over me. Well, I'm here to tell you, you know, when someone prophesies over me, you know what I think? I got work to do. I don't sit there and go, good, it's just going to happen to me. No, I know I've got work to do. And generally, when I get a prophecy, I know I'm going to be attacked. It's just the truth anyhow. You can sit there and look at me like that all you want, but if God has to talk to you through someone else, it means that you're not being very attentive. Oh, come on now. Listen, your need for personal prophecy needs to decrease as you grow in God. I'll say that over here. I don't think they got that. Your need for personal prophecies needs to decrease as you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Because we are led by the Spirit of God. Amen? And there are people that the only reason why they come to church is because they want some kind of, you know word from the Lord and they become spiritual fortune tellers and I'm sorry God is not talking as much as you think that he is but God is talking far more than you think that he is (laughs) so you've got to understand that paradox hello you got to understand that paradox okay and uh, there are people I've been to churches where the word is not central the word is not central and it's all personal prophecies. How can I gauge and examine whether those prophecies are real if I don't know the Word of God? How, how can I even know that? 
And so people end up getting manipulated. They end up getting deceived or they end up putting their trust in prophet so-and-so or prophetess so-and-so and then they begin to get off course and, they, and, and because these prophecies tend to get outside the will of God and begin to get in areas that the Word of God doesn't address. Listen, God is going to talk in line with this right here. Every single time, guys. Amen? Now, am I against personal prophecy? No. I believe prophecy, first off, primarily in the New Testament, should be for exhortation, for the building up, and for, you know, um, you know exhortation and uh, what, what comfort. Comfort. It should comfort you. You know, it shouldn't cause you to, oh, my gosh, what is he saying? I don't know. And you go home and you're worried about what God said. That's not true. Oh, you're looking at me weird. But that's not what, real pro- what, what true New Testament prophecy is. Is there a New Testament prophet? Yes, there is. Yes, it is. There's a New Testament prophet, and there are people, there are prophets in this church that operate in that realm. But majority of prophesying, which is different than being a prophet, is for exhortation and comfort. It's, it's, to, it's, to, bring, it's to build up the body, to edify the body. So when they say something, it should build you up. It shouldn't be, you're going to die in three months. Where's the edification in that? Hello? Are you going to go through a horrible time, a transition in this time? You know, no, that's not the way God leads. I'm saying this for somebody. Not in my notes. But cultivating a personal prayer life will keep you away from that stupidity. My sheep hear my voice or know my voice and the voice of a stranger they won't follow. And man, you hold the voice of God right here. You hold the voice of God right here in your hands. And if I can learn this, then here's a key that you need to understand. Is the more I know this, the more God can communicate with me. I don't think you got the full weight of that. Okay? It's just like engineers. Okay? You go to an engineer convention and you're not an engineer, you're only going to go so far in the conversation. It's like a fourth grader talking to Shakespeare. What comes after C? What comes after D? You know, Shakespeare basically created a whole language, you know, with his. Do you see what I'm saying? The more I know this, the more I can go into deeper communication with the Lord. Majority of the questions that you want answered, you're not able to hear the answer because you don't have the basis to receive it. You're not going to be able to study physics if you have a problem with addition. Addition is, you know, is foundational. If I don't understand addition, I'm not going to understand quantum physics. I'm not going to be able to understand higher levels of mathematics. It's the same way with here. We've got a lot of ignorance of this. We've got people who love the Bible but don't know the Bible. 
and you don't have to go to Bible school, and you don't have to be a preacher, and you don't have to be in ministry to know this word. All you have to do is have an open heart and a willingness to greet it when you don't understand it and trust the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. And get in a good church where good teachers teach you the Bible and teach you the original language and teach you how to exegete and teach you how to study the Bible. And you will grow. And God will talk about deeper things with you because you're able to handle them. Hello? Not if you pray, but when. You'll cultivate a prayer life. I remember Pastor David. He said that to me many times. He said this. He said, the Lord told me that if I would read my Bible and pray in tongues, I could know God. I'm telling you, there's no simpler prescription for your problem than that. How could Jesus go to the next level? How could Jesus take on the sins of the world? How could Jesus take the flogging, take the separation from God? How could he go into hell and be raised from the dead? Because... He had a relationship with God through prayer. He operated as a man just like you and I. He was God manifest in the flesh, but he operated just like you and I. Jesus isn't just an example for us. He's an example of us. Everything he went through, our life is going to somehow mimic or somehow we're going to go through some of the things that he went through. We need to follow the master. He said, I only do what I hear, what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. That's how we're supposed to live life. That's how you're supposed to live life. Amen? Okay, all right. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So here he's got three of his besties. He's needing their support. He's been there for them for three years. He's coming at a crucial time in his life where everything's going to end. They don't fully understand what's going on. They don't have any idea of what season they're in. And in fact, as we'll study along next week, because I don't think I'm going to get to it this time, Jesus was at the zenith of his popularity. His fame had spread abroad. Even Greeks were coming to investigate him. The political realm knew about him. They understood him. They knew stories about him. We'll find out when he goes to Pilate, when he goes to Herod. They all knew about his fame. In fact, they were so convinced of his power and all of the stories that he said about his so-called magic powers of healing people and doing miracles that they sent over 600 soldiers not just four or five, 600 soldiers to pick him up. I'll tell you how powerful Jesus was. One of the secrets of Gethsemane is this, is understanding that just because you have great power, you don't need to use it. Hello? Hello? There are times in your life where God's going to turn the tables on situation with someone in your life that has hurt you, abused you, or something of that nature. And you're going to be tempted just like any human being's tempted to use the upper hand to try to make some kind of point or try to atone for the sin that they've done against you. 
either by belittling them or doing something cruel to them or, or making, you know, or blocking something that they need or being some kind of impedance to them. Listen, Jesus was innocent. There was no reason for 600 men plus temple guards to come and get him. And in fact, he was right there before them, did not run from them, did not hide from them. And in this so-called cave or apostles' grotto, they asked for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. And there was such a burst of energy. Read it for yourself. There was such a burst of energy that it caused them, if you read it in the original Greek, it caused them to be pushed back, to wobble, and to fall hard on the ground. The power of God was so present at Gethsemane. The manifested presence, anointing of God was manifested in Jesus during the time in which he was about to be seized that not only did they fall down twice, but a young man was raised from the dead. You remember the talk about the naked young man that was in there? He was wrapped in a shroud and he, the, the very voice of the master declaring his name, I am, raised him from the dead right there. The power of God was present there, but yet it wasn't used. Mm. Think about that. Hello, think about that. But Jesus comes to this place, and this is helping. I'm going to close with this. Many people think, you know, Jesus was so strong during that time, you know. We see movies. Of course, the Passion of the Christ was a little bit more realistic than others that I had seen. In that initial scene of him in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling. And, uh, you know, it reads in the Greek, that uh, or reads in the King James Version, it says, and Jesus went a stone's throw away from his disciples. They were in the grotto. That's where they slept. <laughs> Amazing how your friends can sleep when you're in the most agony of your life. Hello. And so it says he kneeled. And this is the picture that we get, that he kneeled down, you know, real strong. And, you know, and, 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 he, and he prayed to God. And he said that, not my will but your will be done. And that's the kind of picture that a lot of us have is that he was strong, he was able to take it and that it was just kind of like a Charlton Heston Moses type thing. You know, I mean, let my people go, you know, real strong, real authoritative. That is not what the Greek says. The Greek doesn't say that he kneeled. It says he fell. And he stretched out in such anguish and pain, and the Greek actually describes someone rolling on the ground. Have you ever prayed like this? Have you ever been in such pain and turmoil? Have, has, has a spouse left you to cause you to be like this and to cry out to God in your bed, wherever you might be? That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He wasn't just in this, this uh, 
devotional prayer time in which he was formal, he was informal, he was naked, he was destitute, he was crying out to his father in pain. You know, sometimes we get embarrassed about our prayer life at times. We wouldn't tell our neighbor about it or even the person we're sitting next to about the times we wallowed in anguish over a situation in our life. Jesus did. Jesus did. There's times I've been crying. I say, I'll say this. I'll say, Lord, I know I need to stop crying. Have you ever heard, have you ever said that? Lord, I know I need to stop crying. Never once did he say, yeah, you need to. Never once. There's been times I've said, Lord, I know I'm saying stuff out of my, out of my pain and I, I, I want to apologize and he never told me to stop. There's times I've screamed and yelled. I felt embarrassed by it, but the Lord never rebuked me, never, never said that at all. Why? Because his son did the same thing. See, the point is, isn't that Jesus wrestled with the will of God. The point is, is that Jesus got up and said, not my will, but your will. The, the thing we need to understand is he had to receive strength from God to make that decision. If you read in the scripture there, it says, and angels came and strengthened him. See, here you have a picture of Jesus anguishing. The word agonadzai means he's totally wrestling to death. It's a, it's a fight to the death. Some, somebody's not getting up. It's either my will or it's going to be God's will. But someone's going to die. And that is what it is. And it, it, it talks about that he prayed more earnestly. The word earnestly means that he was stretched out of proportion. Have you ever been stretched by a situation that you didn't ever think you'd get through it at all? It had pressed you to the very core of your being. That's where Jesus was. It talks about how that he began to sweat great drops of blood. And that is where a person is so stressed. It's a medical condition that is very rare. But it's where the, the epidermis separates and the layers of skin separate and blood will get in the middle of the two layers and it'll come out the pores. The level of stress of Jesus becoming the sin of the world, the level of stress of him being separated from his father, the level of stress of him being abandoned by his friends and betrayed by his close associate. Judas was close to him. You don't ever get betrayed by a stranger. A stranger never betrays you. And he was pressed. 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 And some of you are being pressed in your life right now. There's a pressing that's going on. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll do it the way Jesus did it, 
If you'll operate the way the master did, you'll break out into the other side. Jesus broke out into the other side. He broke through. Jesus was able to be crucified, was able to go through the scourging, was able to submit his body to be broken on our behalf, gave his life and his blood because he crucified himself in Gethsemane. There are things you may be looking at this next week that you say, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to pay this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I got a doctor's appointment. I need a good report. I I don't know where we're at. I don't know what we're going to do. Fear is trying to rise up in you. Well, the way that you get through it is go to Gethsemane. Go to Gethsemane. Go to Gethsemane. Slay that fear there and it won't be present in the doctor's office. Slay that fear in prayer, and it won't be there on that new job. Slay that fear there, and it won't be prevalent in your home. I'm here to tell you, it's a very simple prescription, but it's hard to execute because it's an act of your will to do it. Jesus gives us the answer. He shows us the answer through his own example. It's a part of just willingness. Majority of people are are just uh, wrestling with doing what God asks them to do. Majority of time. To even do the simple things like pray, read your Bible, go to church, serve. There's people that haven't even, can't even handle that. They ain't even broken through the cone of that but yet they expect to go in deeper places. If you can't tell your flesh no and come into church, how are you going to tell your flesh no when you're in a deeper level? It's not going to happen. Jesus said, he that is faithful over little will be faithful over much. You can't even handle that. You can't even handle a person telling you, no, I really need you to be here next week. How are you going to go into the deeper things of God? You can't even exemplify faithfulness. Simple attributes that are part of the fruit of the Spirit that should be growing in your life. And yet, you want deeper things. Yet, you want to know more. Yet, you want to go into deeper places with God or grow in your authority in God, which is all yours. It's all been given to you. But, you know, m- majority of time, it's our flesh that keeps us. Amen? Now, I know that's a low note to end, but I, I, I don't want to keep you any longer because, you know, it's 1230. But we got started a little late. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, God has more for you. God has more for you. God wants to do more in you, and he wants to do more through you. But it's going to require you aligning your will with his will. And that, my friend, is where the rubber meets the road. That's where the crux of this is, is that I've got to line myself up because guess what? He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. So God's not going to make an adjustment in regards to me. I'm going to make an adjustment in regards to him. 
Many people are awaiting something from God. They're like a receiver running the field, but they're not running the proper pattern. If you know anything about football, the quarterback does not throw to the receiver. He throws to the place of the pattern. He flows to the X where the receiver is supposed to be. There's a lot of people running the field of life any way they want to. And they keep wondering why the quarterback doesn't see them. Well, the quarterback has set plays that he goes by and that he references. He knows where somebody's supposed to be at any given time. If you're not where you're supposed to be, you're not getting the ball. You're not getting the ball. Where Was Jesus where he's supposed to be? Absolutely he was. It was his custom. He was there. God could rely on him and say, he showed up. How about you? How about me? Are we answering that same call? When it got tough, when like Noah said, you weren't getting answers to your prayer. It seemed like you were going based upon solely upon what the word said instead of feeling experientially the, 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 the joy of your salvation. What are you going to do then? Are you just going to give up? Are you going to shrink back? Or are you going to press through? I'm telling you, when you get in that cone, brother, it's not the most comfortable place to be in. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'm here to tell you, we had a wonderful time at 9 o'clock, people praying at the altars, people making decisions, breaking their will, and allowing God's will to begin to manifest in their life, beginning to let God run, you know, minister through them. I'm here to tell you, it's open now today. We'll have people up here to pray for you. We've got altar benches here. These are forgotten. We dust them all the time. They're clean. We don't let cobwebs on them. But I'm here to tell you they're there. There's something about the altar. There's something about bending your knee. There's something about crying out to the Lord. There's something about saying, you know what, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That just breaks things off of your life. If you want to do that, I want to welcome you to do that at this time if you so desire. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Christy, as you were worshiping the Lord, the Lord spoke to me, or I felt an impression of the Lord, to tell you that you've been in a season of grieving, in a season of mourning is what he said, a season of mourning. That there is, you know, you've lost important people in your life and you lost them, you know, in a group of time, very short period of time. But he wants me to tell you that spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. And just like we're experiencing spring springing forth, there is a spring that has sprung forth in you. And what he's talking about is a spring of the, from the wells of salvation. And he wants you to understand that this spring is going to bring such new life to you that it will be as if you've never experienced before. It'll bring you into a new realm in him and a new joy in him that you have not experienced before. But just as the ground has been hard, the ground has been unyielding of its fruit, now it's the, the soil is perfect and God's fruit is going to begin to grow and abound and the peace and the joy of the Holy Ghost is yours. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
I want her to be obedient to that. Amen. We're going to have counselors up here. I'm going to let you go. But uh, next week, we're going to talk about betrayal. We're going to talk about the Judas kiss. We're going to talk about how Jesus handled it and how you can handle it. Because it's important that you get a hold of these things. Because guess what? Betrayal is never going to leave this life until Jesus splits the sky. Amen? And we're going to be busy getting betrayed and betraying. And we need to learn how to deal with both. Amen? Need to know how to deal with both, now, not to be a betrayer and to, not, and to guard ourselves against what betrayal tries to do, steal our heart, steal our faith, and steal our confidence in God. Amen? Hallelujah. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.